Good morning and welcome to episode 88 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus. I'm Sam Miller in Long Beach, California. You are Ben Lindbergh. Ben, how are you? I am very well. How was your Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving weekend? It was just delightful. Ah, very well. How was yours? Uh, it was it was good. I had the traditional Thanksgiving foods, and then I went into my bunker to to write player comments for the annual. Who cooked your food? Uh, my great aunt. Exceptional. All right, um, you have brought a topic for us to talk about today that's baseball related. Yeah, uh, I want to talk about the Will Myers rumors and R.J. Anderson's article about the Will Myers rumors, which is up on Baseball Prospectus today. Today being Monday. What are the Will Myers rumors? Uh, the rumors, I think, as I don't know if it was originally reported by. Jeff Passan, uh, or maybe Michael Silverman, a Boston writer, but uh, it has been reported that the Royals, and the language differs uh, depending on what rumor you read, but Jeff Passan said that they have been shopping Will Myers, which sort of implies an active role, uh, whereas other writers portray it as listening to offers, which is a much more passive representation of of what's happening. But uh, they have in some sense, let it be known reportedly that they are willing to trade Myers for starting pitching. Um, they have already, of course, uh, acquired some starting pitchers this offseason or or signed one they already had, uh, trading for Santana, as we talked about, and then signing Jeremy Guthrie, but they feel that they are not done. Um, and I guess their position players currently on the team and prospect-wise are are stronger than their pitching, and they are open to doing something to correct that imbalance. Um, And Myers, of course, if he is not the top prospect in baseball, he is certainly on the very short list. So it would be something if he were traded. Uh, And we talked, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, about how teams seem to be or, or might be becoming more willing to trade their young players and possibly even their prospects, which we theorized could be because it's easier to quantify their value now, or there have been attempts to quantify their value, and that by putting a number on it, uh, it has made teams more willing to trade them. And so now there's Myers, and RJ wrote uh, a very good article about this. He quoted both of us, which made it even better. Uh, but he quoted us doing a podcast, incidentally. Well, he quoted me, and now we're yeah. and now we're doing a <laughs> right. podcast yes. about it. It's it's right. It works both ways. We're all just kind of flattering each other, um, or out of ideas. <laughs> yeah, uh, I did want to bring up one theory, or I don't know if you can call it a theory, but I am getting this sense increasingly that the rumors that we read about most often are not necessarily as accurate a representation of the actual market as we generally uh, perceive them to be, I feel. I wrote an article about Justin Upton last week and how he has kind of been on the verge of being traded more or less constantly for the last two and a half years or so. And of course, he hasn't been traded at all. And 
it seemed like uh, those rumors kept being refreshed or renewed because Kevin Towers, the, the Diamondbacks GM, was just extremely willing to talk about Upton's availability or what his status was exactly. And so whenever a writer needed to write a story about a rumor and Upton is an interesting player, they could go to Towers and Towers would say something, something sort of newsworthy almost or something you could report. Not that he was saying, yeah, we really want to get rid of this guy, but he would say, well, yeah, he's available or there's been interest, something like that. And then that would start a whole new wave of rumors So I'm wondering now if what we generally perceive to be the players that the most trade or or free agent activity is centered around has more to do than than we typically think with just who's willing to talk about those players. Hmm. Does that, I mean, like Justin Upton, is he actually a guy who has been one of the most available players or, or involved in the most rumors over the last two and a half years? Is he a guy that's really attracting as much attention as you would think just based on Googling results for Justin Upton in trade? Or is it just that he happens to play for a team that has a general manager that is willing to talk to the media about these things? Well, the I mean, you're you're giving the credit to Kevin Towers. I mean, it, the the other half of the rumor is the guy who's reporting it, and um, not to cast aspersions on any particular reporter or um, any particular rumor, because I think that rumors reporters actually probably I don't know I think some of them in particular do very well, um, but you know there's a lot more interest in Justin Upton. You, there's a lot more scouts. If you're talking to scouts and front office guys and you know major league baseball sources, they're talking about Justin Upton a lot more than they're talking about Alexi Amarista. Mm-hmm. And so you're more likely to hear that rumor. You're certainly much, much, much more likely to to turn around and report it, um, to follow up on it, to try to get more on it. I'm sure that the um, that the bar for reporting is lower. And I, I, I do wonder when we talked about um, um, you know we talked about I guess uh, whether it was going to be the case that more of these trades happen. But I think certainly there's going to be more of these types of rumors reported. More players um, are going to be considered available just because there's like a billion guys doing the reporting right now um and the threshold for reporting i think they would acknowledge is is a bit lower in um you know with twitter and everything like that in newsworthiness Um, i mean it's it's worth uh, a tweet or a story now if someone is not interested in someone it is yes so i think that there are there are that's one theory. I think that other theories I might have specifically about Myers or I guess in any case like this, but maybe specifically about Myers. One, I think, is that the Rays and the A's, well, certainly the Rays, and uh, have made it known that they're willing to kind of maybe listen to offers on their pitchers, their young pitchers, who are also kind of the type of talents that you wouldn't have expected to be available a few years ago. And if you've ever been at a poker table, you know how much um, players tend to tighten up or loosen up in relation, you know, as, uh, as, as kind of a, as kind of a unit, you know, a table gets looser, a table gets tighter. And, um, you know, there's a certain amount of wanting to get in on the action. And when one person is willing to listen on those players, you start 
thinking, well, geez, I'd, I'd like those players, and you kind of reevaluate what you're willing to part with. I think that... Yeah, or you certain... don't want them to be traded to another team without at least exploring the possibility yeah. that you could get them. Or... Yeah, I mean, I could be I could be proven wrong about this, but I think when you talk about Will Myers getting traded, you, really 90, 98% of the scenarios involve the A's or the Rays. I mean, he's not, he's not going to get traded to... Um, well, there are probably a number of teams he's not going to get traded to. He's not going to get traded to the Mets. He's, you know, he's he's going to get traded to the Rays or the A's because they have a lot of young pitching and they have the type of front offices that are willing to make these kind of uh, paradigm shifting trades for young players. Um, so, you know, I think if the Rays and the A's weren't in the position they were in, you might not quite hear all uh, quite so many of these rumors. Uh, so that's one theory is that it's essentially just the A's and the Rays that are driving it. Um, one theory is that they just don't like him, um, which RJ kind of uh, talked about but didn't seem to find much evidence for. And the precedent of Upton is interesting because um, I think that Kevin Towers kind of went out of his way to say, you know, early on to say, oh, it's not that we're trying to trade Upton. We love him. We know he's super valuable. We would only trade him for a boatload. But like kind of every year, it seems to be more clear that there are tensions between him and the organization. Mm -hmm. uh, ESPN, the magazine wrote a long um, piece about Justin Upton, and, and there's certainly tension on his end from these trade mm -hmm. proposals going around. And if there's tension on his end, you can imagine that that um, you know that tension would grow in both directions. So I don't know that there's any evidence that that's the case with Myers, but it's certainly a possibility. And I think a fourth theory that I have that there's probably not much evidence for, but it's kind of a pet theory I have, is that um, if a team drafts... If Myers was a third-round pick, which kind of means that the Royals drafted him with a... I mean, they scouted him really well. They knew him backwards and forwards. And they knew his limitations. They knew that they thought of him as a third-round pick. They thought it, they thought of him as a you know a better player than the other teams that passed on him at the time. But they had really studied him, and they had an idea of what kind of player Myers was going to be. They did not expect him to be the number three prospect in baseball three years later. And I think that it might be the case that the team that drafts a you know a, a mid-round or a late-round pick has a harder time adjusting their. Um, their expectations of him when he breaks out. I always mm -hmm. wondered whether that was the case with, with Brandon Belt, where the Giants, um, you know, the Giants scouts obviously weren't so enamored with him that they drafted him in the first round. They drafted him in a, you know, kind of in a middle round, and um, and it, it, I don't know. It, it could just be that they, um, because of that, they kind of have a fixed idea in their head about what that player is. Whereas a, a team that um, you know, if you're if you're not that team, if you don't have quite so much invested in him and you haven't studied his strengths and weaknesses, you might not have such a hard time adjusting. Yeah, I like that theory. Um, or maybe even a theory that I like less is that maybe there's sort of less pressure on a team. Or if a, if a team uses its number one pick on a player, then it sort of feels that it needs to justify that to the, the fan base or to get something great out of that pick, possibly. Whereas if right, it's later yeah. in the draft, it's like, well, we we never said he was that good. Oh, uh, no, and, you're, and you're, you're cashing in. I mean, you're yeah, essentially like cashing in before you're... Yeah, you're cashing in before your investment goes goes broke again on you. Right. It's, I mean, I, I think yeah, that that definitely I think makes some sense to me. The idea that it that they can profit right now, mm -hmm. 
And so they might not see the downside of trading him quite as much as they would if he was the number two pick in the draft. So looking at the the list that RJ did, RJ did a lot of legwork to look up all previous uh, prospects who had been ranked somewhere in Myers' vicinity um, to see which of them had been traded. I think he did within three years of that ranking. And he found that only one, uh, Brad Penny, had been traded before he actually appeared for for the team that drafted him. Everyone else at least got a cup of coffee or something before the team decided to trade him. But looking at that list, uh, there was kind of a, a mix of players who went on to be quite good and quite a few players who fit the narrative that their original team saw something in them that the prospect evaluators, in this case, Baseball America, did not. Uh, guys like Delman Young or Andrew Miller or Andy Marte, uh, guys who never panned out or certainly didn't pan out to the extent that their prospect ranking would have would have led you to think that they would. Looking at that list, if you were a team interested in Myers, uh, how much would it give you pause that that the Royals are making him available? Uh, I don't know. Probably not that. In the, in this specific case, not that much pause. I think, um, you know, I think that there's, I mean, there doesn't seem to be any makeup issue with Myers, and that's that's the one thing that you would think that the Royals would have a, a uh, an information advantage on. I mean, there's so much scouting and there's so much uh, information available about prospects that um, that you know I would feel pretty confident in my ability to scout a player. And it makes perfect sense for the Royals to trade a position player for a pitcher. There's no, you know, the, there's a clear incentive if it, if it does for anyone, I guess. Yeah, which I don't know yeah. if it does. Uh, to trade a young hitter for a, a young pitcher is. I mean, if the they abstract, called me up, know. if if they called me up and 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 offered him to me like <laughs> like if they sort of if it just kind of became known in the industry that they're more receptive to these offers than you would normally expect mm-hmm. then it probably wouldn't freak me out if they called me up and they were like uh boy that john danks sure looking good right do we have anything we you know if they start offering him for for guys then i might be a bit wary of it mm-hmm. but i don't know i wouldn't be that worried based on the information that's available. You know what's interesting to me is that um, Passan wrote that uh, everybody is available on the Royals. Uh, Alex Gordon and Billy Butler and Mike Moustakis and Eric Hosmer and Will Myers. Everybody except that uh, Alcides Escobar and Salvador Perez, which <laughs> surprised me. Uh-huh. And both of those guys are, are good and they have good contracts and Salvador Perez has an incredible contract and Salvador Perez might be like my second or third favorite player so I can see why they're attached to him but like why say anybody is untouchable like what does that say to Myers <laughs> right I mean if you if you tell Myers hey look you know we're just we'll listen on anything <laughs> don't take it personally I mean we're not going to trade yeah. you I mean I mean, nobody's untouchable, Will, except Sal Perez. <laughs> yeah, it sort of surprises me because the Royals are known as as sort of a tight-mouthed team. They're not a team that talks like Kevin Towers. 
uh, so you don't typically hear these things about them. Passon's a uh, Passon's a Kansas City guy, though. Uh-huh. That's that's where he came from. So maybe he's got a little bit of a uh-huh. of an edge. Yeah, uh, that is possible. It would, I guess, it would be like the ultimate irony or the ultimate suffering for Royals fans all this time. The the narrative about the Royals or about Dayton Moore in particular has been that he was very good at evaluating young talent and scouting and drafting, but not so good at major league moves. Um, So I guess it would kind of be the ultimate suffering for the Royals if it turned out that he did manage to promote all these talented players to the majors and then traded them away in bad trades as his his weakness came back to bite him. Uh I don't expect that to happen, but... That has kind of been always the the concern with this Royals rebuilding movement that he wouldn't be able to supplement the young players with the veterans that you need or the right veterans that you need. Uh, so, hope that doesn't happen for the Royals fans who are listening. Uh-huh, okay. All right. So that's the end of this show. Um, we'll be back tomorrow with episode eighty nine. And uh, we are one and a half days away from the email Wednesday. So if you want to email us a question a little bit in advance the email address is podcast at baseballperspectus.com and we'll be back tomorrow